Welcome and thanks for listening to this message from City Bridge Community Church. Our heart at City Bridge is to call all people to be fully devoted followers of Christ. To learn more about City Bridge and how you can take your next faithful step with Jesus, check us out online at citybridgechurch.org. Now, here's the message. And I love the language that we just used is it's just not another Sunday. There's something in words like that that resonate in, in my heart. I, when I, as long as I can remember, I always thought, man, I don't want to live just another life. Even as a four, five, six-year-old, there was something in me that wanted my life to count. And uh, growing up, there were two professions that I ever uh, thought about being. The first was a a farmer. Uh, My dad had a a farm out in East Texas. And uh, as a four-year-old, I would go out and help him. And uh, the first compliment I ever remember getting was from my dad going, hey, Jeff, you know, you're not bad at worming cattle. And um, you don't need any more information about worming cattle than that. And, uh, but it's funny how the power of encouragement of a dad that stuck with me. I wanted to be a farmer. Except that the Dallas suburbs aren't the place where the uh, desire to be a farmer kind of gets stoked. And so before long, I moved on to wanting to be a baseball player because I'm like, they have purpose in their life. And so I would get home after school, grab my glove, grab a tennis ball and go play in my yard for two hours. And I would throw uh, the tennis ball at my roof and my roof was shaped in such a way that it would send back pop-ups and fly balls uh, in that moment. And I would catch and I'd do this over and over again. And in due time, developed really good hand-eye core. And as a young kid, I had an incredible baseball glove. I was a great fielder, uh, but problems would soon arise. And as my uh, freshman high school baseball coach said, Parker, you do have a good glove, but the problem is you're 5'1 and you weigh 95 pounds and you're the slowest kid I've ever seen. (laughs) None of those things were an exaggeration. If you thought I looked small last week uh, in that pickup truck, that was after a growth spurt, by the way. And literally, I was the slowest kid in my grade. I ran, and for some of you, that this will mean something to you. I ran a 6.25 second 40-yard dash. Some of y'all are laughing, that hurts. As I was reminded by Kyle, he's like, I ran a 4.8. Gentiles popped up. Thankfully, he's not here today to to brag about this, but he ran a 4.6 second 40-yard dash. I was literally the slowest kid in my grade. My coach who's saying this also coached the offensive lineman for the football team, and he's going, you're the slowest I've ever seen. He thought I I, I was so slow, he goes, run it again. Maybe we clicked the the timer wrong. (laughs) Put up a 6.33 after that, at which point coach called me over and said, you know what? Maybe baseball isn't your thing. And so with farming out of the picture, with baseball out of the picture, I did the only job left remaining, which was accounting, became a CPA, and the <laughs> rest is history. Uh, but literally, as long as I've remembered, I've I, I wanted my life to count. I wanted there to be meaning. I've wanted there to be purpose in, in what it is. And I think when uh, Solomon talks about in Ecclesiastes 3 that God has set eternity in, in the hearts of men, I think that's what he's talking about, is there, that, we, that there's something innate in us that goes, there's got to be something more to this world than the, than the life that we see around us. And, and, and God was using that even in, in my young age to just stir something in me. Uh, literally about the time that I was cut from the baseball team, I think in fact because I was cut from the baseball team, I, I had a chance to get to go to a, a, a church camp retreat 
and it was there that uh, I heard the gospel for the first time. And, and as I figured out who Jesus was and trusted him with my life, I began to see a glimpse of, oh, this is how my life can count. This is how my life can matter. We're in a series uh, called Encountering Jesus. We're in, we're in the Gospel of John, and we're in an incredible stretch of chapters, as if you've been studying along with us. I hope they've been as encouraging to you as they have been to me. But John 15 is this sweet passage where, where I think the disciples are encountering Jesus maybe in a way that they hadn't been for three years. They're beginning to lean in. Jesus is using language of, my hour has come. And, and that had language that I think had the disciples kind of leaning in in the moment. And I love that Christ, who, who is just hours from the cross, leans in with what scripture would call these kind of common, uneducated men, undersized, slow, but like a baseball coach leans in, doesn't give up on them, but doubles down on pouring into them speaking words of purpose to them in John 15. And so here's what I want to do this morning is, is I, I want to let the word of God encourage us first and foremost. My big fear this morning is that I would get in the way of Christ's words. Christ's words speak for themselves. And so we're going to read John 15, but what I want to do just to set it up is unpack verse one in a way that the disciples would have heard it. Verse one of John 15 says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. This would have grabbed the disciples' attention because this was Old Testament language. This was messianic prophecies. This was signs of, hey, there is, a, there is going to be a Messiah that comes and this would have caught their attention. They would have been leaning in. Look, they've been waiting for the Messiah. They've been waiting for God's kingdom to be ushered in in a, in a new way. And so they are locking in. And this would have triggered uh, verses in their mind from, look at Psalm 80, verse 9 and 10, that's talking about the nation of Israel who uh, was often represented by the image of the vine. It says this, you brought a vine out of Egypt. That's where Egypt, that's where Israel was rescued from. You drove out the nations, this is from the promised land, and you planted Israel here. You cleared the ground for it and it took deep root and it began to fill the land. Yet the more familiar you get with the, with the prophets, the prophets use similar language, but they talk about, say, Jeremiah in verse 221 of Jeremiah says, yet I planted you, God saying, I planted a choice vine, holy of pure seed. That's how I planted you in the promised land. Now, why then have you turned degenerate and become a wild vine? If you read Isaiah 5, which I would highly encourage you, if you have it in context of John 15, he's basically, the Lord's going to say, look, I planted you a, a good vine, but you've produced wild grapes. You're producing fruit that I never intended you to produce. That whole chapter is about how Israel has strayed and is now producing drunkenness and pride and greed. And they taunt God with their behavior. And Israel had gotten to a place that they were fruitless and unfaithful. And then that's where some of the messianic prophecies come in. Jeremiah later in verse 23, verse five says, it says this, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, a righteous vine, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. And so this is the language that the disciples are hearing, starting to lean in going, okay, here's the purpose that we've been waiting for. And with that in mind, now let's read the text. Let's read Christ's words to them. 
and see if it's what the disciples who were wanting to overthrow Rome and all that, let's see if this is what those words speak to. I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Jesus talking to the 11 in particular. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean. Already you are saved, 11, because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. And as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, I'm the righteous branch, and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. And if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Look at purpose coming in. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. Look at this promise. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. You want your life to count disciples. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. No longer, I, no longer do I call you servants for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but now I have called you friends for all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. You didn't choose me, I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Lord, thank you for these words. Words of life, words that point to the purpose that we are called to live. Lord, will you help us not miss it today? Your words speak for themselves. And yet in your kindness, what I'm sure the disciples did, even after you ascended, is they talked amongst themselves, what does this mean? And so thanks for a morning where we get to converse about what you meant by this. Lord, help us get out of the way, speak to our hearts so that this may root deeply in it. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, there's much in here, much I could linger with, but uh, there's three areas that I wanna focus in on today is, is, is abiding, what does that mean? I wanna look at pruning, what does that mean and how does that operate in our life and then what is fruit bearing? These are the three themes that we see in these 17 verses of John 15. And so, uh, and, and I think as we do that, we're gonna find what a life looks like that matters, that counts for eternity. And so jump in with me here. The, the word abide is it's kind of an interesting word. It's a word that I, I think for most of us is like, apart from when we see it in God's word, it's not a word that we use a whole lot in our daily vernacular. And so let me start with the working definition of abide so that we can maybe read the text with, with, with that definition in mind. But the, the Greek word that is used to translate uh, for the word abide, which is used 11 times in this passage, is a word called meno, M-E-N-O, meno. Uh, and it means to remain. It means to uh, stay in a fixed state, to endure. It also carries the, the connotation of to stay strong in one's resolve. And so thus the object of what you may know and what you abide in really matters. And abiding biblically 
with this context is not a particular call to do something, it is a call to be with someone. And in this passage, it is clear that the, that the object of our abiding is with Christ, it's in Christ. And so the working definition I want us to have for abide is this idea of close, constant communion with Christ. Just like a branch stays connected to the vine closely and constantly, so we are to do that in a way where we have communion with Christ. So with that definition of abide equals close, constant communion, with Christ. Let's read verses four, five, and six again. Abide in me, close, constant communion with me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it is closely connected to the vine. Neither can you unless you are closely connected, communing with me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, it is he that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not stay close, connected, and communing with me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. Great words about what it looks like to be connected. Now, abiding is not specifically reading your Bible. Abiding is not specifically living morally or, or even praying. Abiding is spending time with Christ in a variety of manners. And it can, it can be and should be spending time in God's word. It can be and should be praying with him. Can be and should be memorizing his word or taking communion or fasting or any number of other things that draw you deeper into relationship with Christ, but only to the extent that those things do that, produce a deeper relationship with Christ. You and I, many of us have been in God's word before in such a way that we're not actually communing with Christ, we're just checking boxes. That's not what this is. This is about close, constant communion, two-way street, two-way dialogue with Christ. Now, a couple of observations here is that I see just in verse, at the end of verse five and at verse, verse six is, is abiding, though, should, though it should be normative for the believer, for those of us that have trusted in Christ, abiding with him should be normative it is not a guarantee that we actually do so because there is a level that we are involved. It's Christ working in us, but our role, there's a personal responsibility for us that you see in verse 10, that we've got to keep his commandments. We talked about some of that last week. By doing so, by a level of obedience, we begin to abide in his love. But the warning in all of this is that if you're not abiding, there's, there's nothing you can do. There's nothing you can do of eternal significance. Now this is a, a tricky passage. There's a lot of ways you can read it. Let me just let scripture inform scripture because I think what's happening here is Jesus is specifically speaking to disciples. He's specifically speaking to the 11 who have already trusted him for salvation. And so whenever you get into a sticky passage going, what does it mean that if I don't abide in me, I'm thrown away like a branch and withers? Does that mean I can lose my salvation? What does, that, what does that mean? And there's a lot of meanings that this verse could have. Let me take you to 1 Corinthians 3, 13 through 15 to help inform what this means. Where that says that, as Paul writes there, each one's work, talking about disciples, each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one of us has done. What is, was it work that was done from an abiding relationship? 
that will matter then. If the work that anyone has built on, the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. And if anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. The work that we do matters. And if it's not work that's done from an abiding relationship with Christ, scripture says it gets burned up. And though we are saved and we'll be in an eternal relationship for the Father, we would have missed out on this life counting in a way that would have brought extra, brought more glory to the Father. And so you want your life to count. It is only through a life of close, constant communion with Christ that it can. Acts 17, 28 says, for in him we live and move and have our being. We draw our nourishment, we draw our sustenance from him. This is our great responsibility to abide with him. This is the responsibility. This is the vine, so to speak, from which all fruit in our life comes from, is us abiding deeply with him. God has linked abiding with Christ and in Christ inextricably to living a life of purpose and meaning and making an eternal impact making an internal significance. He's linked them together. You can't separate the two. And so what is some of this fruit that, that if we would abide, that we might bear much fruit? What does that look like? How do you know if you're abiding or, or, or not abiding? Here's what it looks like in my life. I put, a, I put this chart together to just take a look at. When I am deeply abiding with Christ, this is just some of the fruit that I see come out of my life. And when I'm not abiding with Christ, here's some of the fruit that comes out of my life. And I won't go over all of it, but when I am abiding with Christ, I trust God with wherever I'm at. I trust him with my circumstances. And I've noticed that when I'm abiding with Christ, I still exude joy even in hard times. And yet, when I'm not abiding, I'm discontent even in good times. That's how important it is to be deeply connected to the vine, abiding in Christ. I'm overwhelmed at the ways that others love me when I am abiding with Christ. And when I'm not abiding with Christ, I'm overwhelmed because I think I'm entirely alone and no one cares about me. I love to celebrate the giftedness in other people. When I'm abiding, I nitpick others in sinful ways when I'm not abiding. Does that, does that sound familiar to any of you or anyone else? Raise your hand and go, I've done that too. I overflow with gratitude when I'm abiding. I, 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 I have my mind fixed on eternal things, and yet when I'm not abiding, I'm overflowing with greed, and I'm looking out for what I need. My heart's pulled to earthly treasure. This is what it looks like for me. One is, I think, fairly rich fruit that ultimately glorifies the Father, as it talks about in verse 8. And the other is stuff that needs to be uprooted and pruned from my life. I love verse seven, I, I, if, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. There's, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna share some prayers today that I've prayed over the span of the last few years of my life and uh, just because I think as, I wanna pray in a way that's indicative of verse seven uh, about, and I think it's prayers that the Lord does answer because I think it's Christ's words coming out through me. But one of the things that I've just prayed is as I think about that abiding column over there, I'm just like, man, Satan hates, especially hates believers that are connected to the vine and operating from that place of deep abidance. He doesn't worry about branches that aren't connected, that are already on the ground. They're useless. So he's not worried about them. But Satan is particularly concerned with those of us as believers that are deeply abiding with the vine. 
And so one of the prayers that I pray consistency is, is, is Lord, will you make me love the things that Satan hates? Will you make me love the things that Satan hates? Will you remind me that he hates when I'm abiding and that when I'm abiding that there are things that, that he hates that I exist and so use that as motivation to go, Lord, will you help me live in such a way that Satan is mad that I am existing in a deep abiding relationship with you? That's thoughts on abiding. The only way your life can count is in a life of close, constant communion with him. And yet, we're fallen men and women, and there's gonna be times when there's fruit coming out of our life that is not indicative of, of, of what it needs to be, or, as it says in verse two, that there's times where he's gonna sometimes trim branches that are bearing fruit in order to do it. He's gonna prune branches. And so what is this idea of, of pruning? What, what, is that, what does that entail? And look, all of us, if I had to agree, if, if, I, if I had to assume, all of us wanna bear fruit. And if I had to think, none of us wanna get pruned, right? That just sounds painful. And, um, and so what does it look like, right? As Jesus calls himself, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. I looked for hours looking for videos that might unpack this a little bit for us. All I could find is this, what I'm gonna call this kind of silly 60, 70 second video, but I want it to just be a glimpse just a shadow of what the vine dresser is. And so uh, forgive me, but just bear with us as we kind of look at the 70 second video of what, uh, of what the perspective of a vine dresser has. Pruning is an essential part of renewing the vine. When you go through and prune, you're thinking about where's the fruit zone gonna be located, where are the leaves gonna be, where are the shoots gonna emerge from. It's kind of like a method to reshape the vine and reset year after year. When you look at a vine, you, you kind of look at where cuts have been made in years past. You think to yourself, how did this vine perform last year? Did I get the yields that I needed? Did I get the protection that I needed? Do these shoots look like they grew enough to protect the fruit from heat waves later on? And did they have enough canopy there to effectively ripen the clusters? There's a lot of things that go through your head during pruning. In a sense, it's meditative because you're thinking about so many different things at the same time. But you have this opportunity once a year to go through and shape the vine for the vintage that you're about to experience. But at the same time, you're thinking about what are the repercussions of these cuts in year two, year three, year four. It's not just this one moment you're making a decision. Do you pick up on some of those things, right? Just the attention, uh, the, the detail, the thought that goes through a vine dresser's head as he's making cuts, even to the degree of what this might mean a year from now, two years from now, three years from now. And this is just a glimpse of the gracious vine dresser that we have in Christ, that, is, that, that we have in God that is very mindful of how he prunes us. But let's be very clear as it says here in verse one, yes, Jesus, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in, in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. God is a pruner. He cuts, he trims. You read in other passages of scripture, sometimes he has an ax and will take it down at the stump and sometimes he with shears kind of trims you off. To be clear, I've tried both of those routes. I recommend the shearing, not the axing. 
But that's what the, what the, what the Lord does. And, and, and you see it in, in, a, in a beautiful passage in, in Psalm 119, verses uh, 67 through 75. Let me just read you a handful of verses and just remind you what the Lord is up to and how pruning becomes a gift to all of us. The psalmist writes, before I was afflicted, before I was disciplined, before I was discipled, before I was pruned, I went astray. But because of your pruning, now I keep your word. You are good. He is a good vine dresser and he does good. God is trying to do something for you, not just to you. It is good for me that I was afflicted. It was good for me that I was pruned, that I might learn your statutes for the law of your mouth is better than thousands of gold and silver pieces. In our mind, we think that's what matters, but look at this. Your hands have made and fashioned me, the intimate vine dresser, making and fashioning you, giving me understanding that I may learn your commandments. Those who fear you shall see me and rejoice because I have hoped in your word. I know, O oh Lord, in faithfulness, that passage ends. In faithfulness, you have afflicted me. In faithfulness, you have pruned me. Let's have fun for a second. Um, about 15 months ago, we were uh, knee deep in trying to name this place, name this church. Uh, you all know the name, it's City Bridge, but 15, 16 months ago, that name was like nowhere on the radar. And so let me give you the name that was I, almost the clubhouse leader for a little bit. And, uh, and it was the name that if I had my way, we would have been called this and maybe a couple of other people over here. And as a preface, um, as we shared the name with a handful of people, it was very clear kind of two things. Some of y'all really liked it and loved it. <laughs> the other thing was 85% of you absolutely hated it. So that name, don't judge me for liking it, was City Forge, okay? That was one of the names. Some of you are laughing, I see it. That was the name that was out there. It was the clubhouse leader for a little bit. Now, the, the constant feedback we heard was, whoo, that sounds like you're going to go to that church and get eaten alive. You're going to get <laughs> torn apart. It's not winsome. So desperately, people were like, let me come up with some other ideas. City Bridge came along a, a month or two later, and uh, I'm really glad it did. Let me be clear. I'm really glad it did. But the thing that tugged at our hearts for those of us like, that like City Forge was this idea of, hey, disciples aren't found. Disciples are forged, right? Disciples aren't just plucked and picked from a tree. Disciples are pruned into Christ's likeness. And it doesn't just happen in a, in a moment. It's not instant sanctification that happens. And it was this idea that we wanted to just go, I want us to be a people that are ready, that long for the pruning of what the Lord has to do. I want us to long for how the Lord wants to test us and try us so that we might come forth as gold. That was the idea that we had. And, and, and it's an idea that you see all throughout scripture, right? That just God prunes, he, he forges his men and women through difficult situations. Because God uses his word, his spirit, his, his people to forge, to sharpen. He uses trials and tribulations. And we see that. And Joseph, he was forged in, in a prison. Moses was forged into the leader that he was through 40 years, 40 years in the wilderness. David was forged. He was pruned. He was sharpened by one of God's prophets. And this was kind of the heart behind it. And the idea is that, Lord, 
even as I look around this room, I just, I'm grateful for the ways that you've sharpened your people and the gift that it has become to this body, right? As we tell stories up on stage, isn't it a marvel at the ways that God has sharpened and pruned those of us? He's pruned us of sin. He's, 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 He's grown things out of us. He's produced fruit out of us through incredible trials and tribulations in a way that though it was difficult for us, there's many of us that just go, man, what a gift that's become to the body. And that was the idea. And so look, we're city bridge, okay? We're city bridge, don't worry, okay? But I want us to have a mindset of, hey, let's be city forge in terms of, we want our hearts to be pruned in all the ways that the Lord has done. And so here's the challenge. As I think about pruning, as I think about what this does with verse two in mind, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Here's my challenge for us as a body. I want us to pray for pruning. I want us to pray that the Lord would forge us, that he would grow us. Because it's very clear that, that when the Lord sharpens us and forges us, it's a gift. And in some cases, I would even say it's a reward. Even those of us that have been bearing fruit, some cases as a reward, right? He continues to prune us so that we may bear fruit. And so one of my favorite prayers is I'm talking with people that are maybe interested in changing jobs or changing community groups or any number of other things. And they just go, hey, will you pray that I find a new job? I just go, here's what I will pray. Lord, will you do whatever you desire to accomplish in my friend, that which you desire to accomplish. If that's a new job, that's great. But don't let my friend miss out on a single thing that you intend for him. Whether that's staying in a current job, staying in a current community group, because the Lord has purpose right where we're at. You pray for pruning. Help us to not miss out on even a single thing you desire to accomplish. I want us to be a body that grows in praying that the Lord would forge us, that the Lord would sharpen us, that the Lord would prune us. Specifically to the men, I, I, I want to say this. Don't pray for an easy life. Don't pray for a comfortable life, an unscathed life where you never get tested and tried and in comfort you can spend out your days. Don't pray for that type of life. You pray against the passivity that so easily entangles many of us men. Pray that that would get pruned away. Don't fear the pruning knife of the Lord. You fear the lifestyle that inoculates you to just a comforting lifestyle. You fear that life. And you desperately ask for the Lord to get rid of it, wean you from it. Because if you're gonna do what the Lord calls us to do in verses 12 and 13, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. The only way that we do that church, the only way that we do that even specifically men, is we ask the Lord to wean us of our flesh, to trim off the desires that so inoculate us in this culture. And it's a prayer that I would encourage men to pray and women join us in praying it. For we need to avoid the sleepy lifestyle that lulls us into being ineffective husbands, fathers, and men. Parents in the room, you wanna pray a scary prayer? Here's a scary prayer to pray. Pray God would bring things into your kid's life that will make their lives count on earth and make their eternities great. Don't just pray for an unscathed life for your kids. 
pray that their eternities would be great. Pray that the Lord would do whatever he needs to do in order to produce dependence upon them, upon him in their lives. Those are the things we pray. First Peter 1, 7 says, though you were grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is forged in the fire, may be found a result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. There's only one thing that fears fire and that's unabiding branches. Those have reasons to fear the fire because they will be torn up, withered away and burned. But gold has no reason to fear the fire. Gold welcomes the fire because it shaves off remaining impurities and it allows us to produce fruit. That's one of the other main things, one of the other main themes that we see in this passage, the, the, the idea of bearing fruit is all throughout it, both begins and, and ends with it. And, and just to, again, define what fruit is not for a second, fruit is not a, a, a external success. It's not a guarantee that there's gonna be external uh, success or results that happen in your life. Nowhere does the Bible equate the fruit being a set expected external result. Not even for churches. There's no guarantee that a healthy church will achieve a certain size, budget, or influence. And so let me give you a definition for fruit, and let me just caveat it. I'm not a fan of this definition, so if you've got something better, please help me. But there's so much to it, and so here's my definition that I, that I just, as I keep reading God's word, this is what comes to my mind, that fruit is internal transformation rooted in Christ that can't be stopped from emanating outward and nourishing others in due time if there's abiding in the Lord. It's internal transformation that if, if, if you're abiding in the vine, it can't help but begin to emanate outward and to begin to nourish others in due time. You see fruit mentioned as the fruit of the spirit in Galatians 5, the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. You see the idea of fruit of repentance talked about. Um, John the Baptist says that in Matthew 3. Paul talks about it in Acts 26. Uh, if you want to just know what, kind of how we define fruit of repentance, there was a message that, that we did a few years back, back in two seven, 2017. You can search uh, repentant hearts uh, on our site, and you can see a little bit of how we define fruit of repentance. But it is this idea of internal transformation that is rooted in Christ. One of my uh, favorite prayers, I've, I've given you a few, uh, and, I'll, and I'll have to explain it because it doesn't sound like that incredible of a charge, but I'm gonna unpack it for a second, is uh, when I walk with people, uh, especially when I meet people for the first time on like a Tuesday night or maybe even on a Sunday morning that are struggling, I pray specifically uh, that they would have the perspective of a farmer. And, uh, and, and let me unpack what I mean by that, because uh, you're going to see a process that fruit bearing is a process. If you, again, back in verse two, which has so much stuff, you're going to see this, this little trend, this, uh, this path of going from no fruit to some fruit, to more fruit, to much fruit, because there is a process to fruit bearing. Again, verse two, because fruit bearing is a process. Look, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, there's no fruit here. He takes away that and every branch that has some fruit, he prunes so that it may bear more fruit. And then in verse eight, by this my father is glorified that you then bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. And so as a farmer knows every Everything that grows big starts with a, just a seed. And the reason why I pray for my friends to have 
the perspective of a farmer is because every great act of God has humble beginnings. Every great act of God has humble beginnings. It starts as but a seed with no fruit, but yet the Lord keeps pruning it until there's some fruit and then it begins to have more fruit and then before long he is glorified because it bears much fruit and farmers know that. And the faithful believer knows that as well. Farmers know there's a season for everything. Ecclesiastes 3.1, there's a time to, right? Or Ecclesiastes 3, there's a time to, bear, uh, to tear down and there's a time to build up. There's a time to reap and there's a time to sow. Farmers know what season is. They don't look for fruit in the winter time, but they do long for the harvest. And so I don't know where you are in your journey. If you're stuck in, in sin or if, you, if you're in a trial or a tribulation that is just feels like the Lord's hand is heavy against you, don't look for the fruit yet. Trust in the process. Trust in the good vine dresser and that there will be a harvest one day if you will but stay abiding with the Lord. A lot of us, we, we can look around the room and, and, and I had a, a buddy once that was doing a, a, a radio show and he was doing it for the Dave Ramsey company and, and he was just a week in and he was so discouraged that it, that it just, he just didn't have the same feel and flow that Dave had, Dave Ramsey had, who'd been doing it for years and, and he just goes, man, I'm just no good at it. And one of his buddies in the company just said, hey, friend, why do you compare your beginning to someone else's middle? It'll take time. But in due time, don't grow weary, my friend, because fruit will come. And so I don't know where you're in the room. I know we all love to play the comparison game in our flesh. And it's easy to look at others in our lead, our elders or our lead pastor or others and go, man, I, I just want his life, but I'll never get there. But don't compare your beginning or, or, or your trial or tribulation that you're going through to, to decades of obedience and, and abiding with the Lord. Use it as motivation to go, okay, Lord, I see what you've grown and what you've built up. Will you help me do whatever you have to do in my life in order to produce an, the harvest that I see in that guy's life? Faithful prayers that you can do. Fruit bearing, you will see it is, again, to use the language, it is normative, it is expected for a believer, but it is not a guarantee. Fruitless Christians are a great evil in the world today a great evil in the world today. Because dead Christians produce dead churches and a world is turned away from the gospel from dead churches and dead Christians. And so I don't say that to produce guilt. I say that to go, let's get back to abiding if we haven't been. So that the father might be glorified, not so that our church can get some sort of glory over here, but so that the father could be glorified. Fruit bearing is the highest privilege that we can attain in our lives. Look at this. If we will do these things, it says greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Verse 14, you are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. Can you imagine that? That's the gospel right there. Sinful man separated from God can still be called friends of the most high. When we abide with him and we let him prune us and the fruit that comes out of us, what an incredible thing. And that is our purpose. That is the great purpose. Of that. And, and the Lord didn't, uh, we didn't choose him, right? But I chose you and I pointed you that you should go and bear fruit. We are God's plan A church to help bring about his glory here and now. And I don't want us to miss out on this. 
you're, uh, I, I read a lot of commentaries this week, just last, frankly, six weeks preparing for us, but the truth is, is um, your life is a commentary on this passage. Your life proves this passage one way or the other. And uh, my prayer is that it would prove to be the bearing much fruit side. My prayer is how the Psalms begin, that it would be blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, does not stand in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But blessed is the man who delights in the law of the Lord both day and night because he's abiding deeply in Christ. For he will be like a tree, like a vine, planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit, which bears its fruit in its season. It may not come at first, but in due time, it will bear its fruit. And its leaf will not wither, though it may be pruned for a season. In all he does, he prospers. In all he does, he bears much fruit, glorifying the Father. And as you become this Psalm 1 tree, your canopy begins to provide shade for other people, right, in their time of need. The fruit that comes off your tree begins to nourish other people. As Christ works through you, you begin to be a vessel of the gospel to other people. And that's my prayer for this body. All the while marveling that Christ is the perfect Psalm 1 tree, amen? And he was cut down and thrown into the fire on our behalf so that through resurrection power, the root would live and we could be grafted into it and be of use to him. That's the prayer. That as we abide with him, we allow him to prune us so that he can get the glory. Thanks for listening. We pray this message encourages you on your journey with Jesus. If you found this message helpful, feel free to share it with others and leave us a review. To learn about City Bridge and how you can take your next faithful step with Jesus, check us out online at citybridgechurch.org. You can also follow us on social at citybridgecc. See you next time.